0: Hello and welcome. Thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. I'm Sarah Gurra, a master's level licensed clinical professional counselor, a yoga teacher, and an EMDR therapist. My practice is the self-care path in Burr Ridge, Illinois, where I treat first responders. And this is season two, episode nine, Life is Life Threatening. Um, But before we dig in, someone told me they don't sit or stand when they listen to this podcast. So I want to say uh, this transition prompt differently. I would love for you to take a nice deep breath in, filling the lungs from the bottom up to the very tippy top of your lungs. And as you are laying down, then slowly and gently exhale until you feel the need to take your next deep breath in. And then of course, just allow that to exhale and take a moment to observe the breath without interfering with it to see how it catches up or shifts and changes. Of course, if you're sitting or standing, you can still take that very deep breath followed by the follow-up breath and just notice Um, how your body responds to that but if you are laying down I hope you can close your eyes and go ahead and pull the shoulders down away from the ears and then adjust your shoulders by tucking them beneath you and just go ahead and adjust the head then you might like to place it just a little bit differently so it sets down on whatever surface very gently and comfortably and then I want you to open your palms so that they are facing upward if you would like more energy, that you're in that receiving energy mode, or go ahead and lay your arms and palms facing downwards for some grounding if that's what you're needing. And then, of course, allow your legs to sort of roll outwards in a very relaxed position so that your knees like fan outward. And that would make your toes point toward the opposite sides of the room. And of course, just relax and be prepared or ready to listen as you breathe. And as you hopefully smile, I hope you all just crack a smile and feel the difference that that makes in your face, maybe in your mood or even all the way through your body. And if you are laying down, um, smiling in Shavasana sounds great. (laughs) So Shavasana means corpse pose in Sanskrit. So in yoga, we all love Shavasana because you just lay there um, like a dead body, I suppose. (laughs) A corpse pose. And it just allows you to restore. So it's definitely a restorative yoga pose. Um, everyone's favorite is Shavasana I think but I wanted to talk about several little topics all at once so this isn't about anything in particular I have 11 points 11 is one of my um, favorite numerology numbers uh, with all its meaning and uh, voodoo I suppose but these 11 points are really just food for thought There are things that I find myself saying somewhat often as a first responder therapist. So this idea that life is life-threatening, of course, I think it just sounds clever and fun, but it also speaks to the complex trauma that we all experience. And if you remember, I said something like your childhood is a complex trauma, and then we have post-traumatic stress disorder, which... You know can sometimes be from those isolated work events that you're experiencing or other life experiences that like have a very specific memory or moment about them and of course I have defined in the past your trauma is your repetition compulsion and how you just continue to repeat some of the pain that you have already experienced but Um, Other than speaking to complex trauma, I know it also validates that we're all struggling. That no matter where you're at in your life, first world country to third world country, life is life-threatening. And I want to talk about several, again, topics or ideas in this podcast to honor the truth of this idea. This idea that life is life-threatening. So the first one is... Therapy is bullshit. (laughs) Uh, I think we often believe that therapy and counseling is going to be this directive, like, give me the one, two, three, solve my problem, and then I'll never have to deal with it again. And therapists and counselors are really reluctant to admit that we don't have a one, two, three, and the problem is solved. I think we often want to give our clients goodie bags so that they feel good about whatever it is they're learning in therapy, and certainly that can be a part of the treatment. Um, but sometimes I think as of therapy as admitting that life is difficult, and it truly what it comes down to is that you have to understand yourself. So know thyself to love thyself, is really what therapy is about. And again, if you understand a little bit more with some love, gratitude, kindness, definitely compassion and wisdom. uh, Maybe it becomes easier to love yourself and make better choices because pain is inevitable, inevitable, and suffering is an option, which is going to quickly lead me into number two, but I want to go back and reiterate that Counseling can teach, for sure, a lot of things. But for the most part, it's a discovery and an understanding of many complex truths about being human. And of course, a truth doesn't end anything. It just kind of, in fact, opens up everything into this endless, expansive experience. Um, So one could be in therapy forever, right? Um, But I'll go ahead and jump into point number two, just to keep the gears turning here, that pain is inevitable, suffering is an option. I had a whole podcast on that. But what I want to talk about is this idea that I've been repeating for a while, which is you have to choose your difficult right? So being miserable is difficult. Being happy is difficult. Choose your difficult. Having a super healthy body is a challenging thing to achieve. It's difficult. But having an unhealthy body is difficult too. Having no money is difficult. Saving your money and running a budget, that's difficult. Just as much. Being married is difficult. Being divorced is difficult. Choose your difficult. Being angry is difficult. Uh, Coping with your anger is difficult. Choose your difficult. Alcoholism is difficult. Choosing to take action, to not be an alcoholic, is difficult. We all get to choose our difficult. So I guess that's it ties in with... Number one and number two, right? I said number one was therapy is bullshit. Number two, pain is inevitable. Suffering is an option. The truth is um, when I say something like I'm just another inmate helping other inmates, I truly mean that like even with all the knowledge I think I possess and use throughout my personal and professional life, um, there's still a struggle to being human because I have never been this age before I have never been in this year before I have never been in this phase of life before and so everything is new and I'm constantly evolving and discovering learning growing developing and as I go through all these experiences I've learned that you know it doesn't get easier and it doesn't end uh I especially caught on to that when I decided I wanted to go to college. Uh, so I had to get through high school, check. I had to get an associate's, check. Bachelor's degree, got it. Master's degree, okay. Well, now you have to get a license, okay. Licensed clinical professional counselor, got it. Well, now you have to get a job. Well, now you have to open your own practice. Well, now you have to sustain the practice. It goes on and on and on, right? So. This doesn't end, and I don't think there's a cure. It's just that uh, we have to learn to navigate it so that we don't become our own enemy. And that's a significantly important idea, I think, which might lead me very smoothly into the third point I want to make, which is there is no therapist, no pastor, no God, no Buddha, no Allah, Yahweh, best friend, parent, podcaster, YouTuber, or doctor that has all the answers. And some people may feel offended by that because they, um, we've all maybe who, if you're alive now, you went through the phase of what would Jesus do? And I like to ask what would a person who loves themselves do? Again, a little controversial, but I love the idea that what would someone who loves themselves do actually includes um, a religious point if you need a religious point. It has a spiritual point in case you needed a spiritual point and it has a practical and logical point if that is the thing that you allow to lead you Uh, because love is God and God is love and what would someone who loves themselves do obviously is also showing that you have a connection and an interest in yourself, right? So when we say what would someone who loves themselves do, it takes uh, responsibility and response plus ability is all that I really need anybody to do Oh, that's all I need myself to do is to respond with the ability that I have in that moment. And usually that requires me to turn inward and I have to engage the inner battle of my ego and myself, my head and my heart so that I can win the war, right? And become wiser for it. Not that everything has to be a fight, but that language sort of works. I think when we constantly look to a therapist or a pastor, a Buddha, a YouTuber, a podcaster, a doctor, whatever, uh, we tend to deny our responsibility and we put it on others. And that's very easy and it's convenient, right, to go ahead and say, well, my doctor said so or my therapist said so. It frees you from the anxiety of existing a little bit to say, well, she said or he said this. But when you free yourself from the anxiety of existing, you free yourself from the opportunity to learn, grow, develop, Um, and you can do that. You could absolutely choose to do that if you would like, Um, but I find that people who come to therapy uh, do so because they want to learn, grow, and develop, or they thought they were going to get a one, two, three, and you'll be fine answer, and then they end up on a journey, so... Uh, do it however you would like. Digest that idea however you want to. Um, but that was a point I wanted to make, or an idea I would wanted to share. So I move on to number four. Number four is your mind and body are connected. Like you, there's no denying that, and people like to think that they're not connected, maybe because they remembered when their body wasn't such trouble because they were younger. But as you age, you'll start to notice that uh, your mind and body really do go hand in hand. And it makes me think about how beautiful yoga can be to show us how the mind and body are connected. For example, I think of tree pose, you're standing on one foot, and you start to get imbalanced. you might become insecure or really wish that you weren't wobbling and it only makes you wobble harder because that's how the mind is wired. It multiplies thoughts Um, and maybe side note an example of multiplying thoughts is do not think of a lamp well now you're thinking of a lamp try not to think of a lamp you are still thinking of a lamp (laughs) or an apple or a chair or whatever it is I'm looking at my lamp right now Um, but the mind, once it thinks of something, it tends to multiply. Even if you say, don't do this, well, what does it do? It, it absolutely does it. So, you know, maybe we're intrinsically stubborn and a pain in the ass. I don't know, but just a little side note there back to tree pose. If you are wobbling in tree pose and you really don't want to be, how your mind responds to that has a lot to do with the outcome because of the mind-body connection. And so sometimes when I am actually teaching yoga poses and I see people wobbling in tree pose, I will tell them trees are meant to blow in the wind. It's okay to bend. And sometimes that helps their mind settle a little bit and they can regain a sturdy non-wobbling tree pose but maybe another example of how the mind body is connected in yoga is when i think of pigeon pose pigeon pose um, is a hip opener and in your hips, in the seat of your hips, you have a bundle of nerves that send messages up through the vagus nerve that can be very emotional. And some people hate pigeon pose, or they cry in that pose, or they get very angry. And again, we can see the clear mind body connection. I think of headstand. Whenever I do headstands or any inversions, uh, I have to remind myself in my mind look, you can be as stable and sturdy and balanced upside down as you are right side up. And when I challenge myself with that thought, I do better. When I think about being upside down, I can get kind of disoriented. And so for that reason, whenever I'm working on my own trauma or I am working with someone else's trauma and guiding them through, we do a lot of inversions to see that even though you're experiencing this disorientation you actually can learn to become just as stable. And then of course we have all the warrior poses which are very expansive and strong sturdy elongated poses that draw a lot of energy up usually through the feet and uh, extend out through the hands and the fingertips and uh, we can feel very confident and strong and stable in those poses and Of course, I can go on and on about yoga and these different poses and how it relates to the mind-body connection and how that's all a spiritual thing. But I suppose my main point there is if you haven't considered the mind-body connection, I want you to experiment with it. Just notice how your body feels when you take the deep breath in at the beginning of the podcast, (laughs) you know, and uh, that it definitely shows or demonstrates that reality that these things are connected. But I'll move on to number five since I'm just giving some random thoughts and ideas today. Number five is about how do you talk to your spouse about their job if you are a first responder? Or more specifically, how do you talk to a spouse about a call? Some of you do this very naturally and you talk about what happens At work uh, and you maybe don't need this suggestion or idea but sometimes a lot of first responders don't want to feel like a burden to their spouse or if the call was particularly disturbing to them they don't want to share the disturbance and spread that you know to people that they love but I really want to encourage people to have that dialogue in their long-term committed relationships at least Or within their marriages and the way to go about that is you need to explain the call you need to say it came in as this in route we got this additional information when we got there it ended up being this and explain maybe what happened and what you went through and if you're the listening spouse you just let them say the whole thing and hopefully without major reactions but instead a listening ear and at the end you can ask what was the worst part about that call for you and they may answer you in a way that you didn't expect or maybe they did but go ahead and share that say well the worst part for me as I was listening to you was this and if that's not to create an argument it's to have a conversation and so that may allow the first responder to talk about well this is why it was the worst for me maybe tell me why that part would be the worst for you and you start to learn about each other and how you think and there's no need to accept what the other person is thinking or feeling you don't have to deny what they're thinking or feeling just let it be as it is And then maybe address the next question which would be how did this call change you and sometimes it changes us in an unwise way and sometimes it changes us in a very wise way and that's something that you can discuss or debate together Um, again not to highlight the differences or create an argument about who has the better answer But instead, to just learn how our life experiences change us and maybe address as well, if it was unwise, how it changed you, how to get back to a wise position with the support of the discussion with your spouse. So for some, that's going to be way more complicated and advanced than it is for other people. But again, I'm dropping uh water in the bucket today to see uh where it goes. But to piggyback on wise versus unwise number 6, I find myself often saying to first responders that there is no right or wrong, there is no good or bad. We live in a very polarizing society where we punish or we reward and there's these right and wrong, good and bad mentalities out there, but I would rather you decide when you are at the fork in the road, just what is the wise way to go about something versus the unwise. And if you choose unwise, that's not right or wrong, good or bad either. Let's say you chose unwise. That would be normal. You're human. And all you have to do is come back down that unwise road and come back to the fork and then choose the wise one. And if you need to forgive yourself, I suppose you can forgive yourself for being unwise. Um, But for the most part, welcome to being human. Welcome to living on earth. You're going to choose unwise all of the time. Other people will choose unwise and you'll get to learn from their experiences as well. But the bottom line is, is you can't escape this. So um, I don't like to say I was wrong. I was you know, not in a defiant way, like I can't, or my ego can't handle being wrong. I certainly can handle being wrong. But the connotation in our society, once again, is, well, if you're wrong, you're bad. And if you're right, you're good. And again, I just want to get away from that. I don't like to talk about it in that language. So I switch it up. And I will admit that was very unwise of me. Um, I don't tend to self-sabotage intentionally anyway. I don't tend to want to hurt myself. I don't tend to want to uh, fuck things up. Uh, So if I find out that that did happen, then I'm just learning and it was unwise and I don't mind backing up and starting all over again. So while that doesn't always free us from the consequences, it certainly can make us smarter. So that's my number six thought. Number seven, darkness is okay. <laughs> so in the past, uh, I may have talked about in the podcast, I'm not sure that, that we have sattvic energy, regisic energy, and tamasic energy. Sattvic is light, regisic is kinetic, tamasic is dark. Another way to picture that is an apple on a tree is very sattvic. It's in this beautiful state. An apple that fell from the tree is regisic because it could either become eaten, which is nutrition, and I would call that sattvic, or it can begin to rot on the ground, and I would call that tamasic. But that tamasic rotting or darkness is not bad. It's actually okay. Darkness is okay. It's the cycle of life. When the apple starts to rot, it softens the earth it falls away from the seeds, exposing the seeds. The seeds can deposit into the earth and we get a sprout and eventually another apple tree and the cycle of life happens only because of that rotting apple. Um, That is until man decided to plant apples, of course, but or seeds for apple trees. But anyway, Darkness is okay. I'm going to repeat that over and over again. It is not right or wrong, good or bad. It's not necessarily wise or unwise. What it is, is creative and productive and loving. So what the heck does that mean? Maybe if I remind you that we are on a space ball called Earth (laughs) in the middle of a lot of darkness. A lot of darkness and it is in this darkness that we exist if it weren't for the Sun we wouldn't see anything we wouldn't have energy um, but it is the darkness that's holding us in this space and I just talked about planting seeds a seed is planted in the dark soil and it's in that darkness beneath the ground And that's where it's creative and productive and it reaches for that light. And the same thing goes for a baby. A baby is created and has all this production going on in a womb uh, in a female body. That's a lot of darkness, right, before it uh, comes out into the light. So I am okay with darkness, Uh, very comfortable with it. But you have to approach it with the right perspective, I suppose. So, number eight. Um, To me, there is a way to reach love. But there's a couple of conditions about love and a little reward about love. And as far as I can tell, the two prerequisites are you have to feel safe. So if you don't feel safe... You're always going to be focusing in on the danger. You're wired to do that. But if there is safety and there's consistent safety on top of that, then you start to become very secure. And that's such a fantastic line of events, right? I'm safe, I'm consistently safe, so now I feel very secure. And because I'm secure, I can be who I am, wise or unwise, good, bad, or ugly, whatever. And in that safety and security, I start to love myself better because I feel safe and secure enough to really be who I am. And if I can admit who I really am, I can start to understand myself. And if I understand myself, I can be more compassionate with myself, which means um, I'll make better decisions and maybe choose that wise road more often. But anyway, the four words that we're going for is safe secure love and then acceptance so safety allows us to be secure allows us to love ourselves and when we love ourselves we start to accept a lot of things not just ourselves but other people and even the darkness that we are confronted with um and the scariness of that so That's number eight. I'm going to move to number nine, which is you have no control. (laughs) Stop trying to control everything, you guys. Um, I understand that you have an SOP or an SOG and at work, you definitely need control of a situation. But when you have a choice, not at work, to be controlling or to be powerful, I hope you choose to be powerful. Because controlling has consequences that are going to put you in a cycle and cause pain and suffering and then you're going to have to clean all that up. But you can choose to have an internal locus of control, which you've heard me say the word Pratyahara before if you've listened to this podcast. And Pratyahara, oh boy, Pratyahara is withdrawing from the senses so that you can turn inward and notice yourself. And when you notice yourself, you become self-aware. And when you become self-aware, you can start to navigate all the parts and what's going to happen to you a little bit better or what's happening to you. And so again, I try to tell people, stop trying to control everything. And being a controlling person is very like a punishing lifestyle. But to be powerful is to reach your potential. And that's really what you're here to do, right? And you can try to be powerful in a situation with other people, but what they end up doing is not your responsibility. It's what you do, even if the shit hits the fan, or even if you've got a nice paved road at this moment to walk on. Either way, being powerful, I think, uh, has more wisdom in it than trying to be a controlling person and egos do a lot of controlling. So let's move to number 10. The next idea, um, self-love or self-fear or to wind it even down to more simple terms, love versus fear. So love is going to pull things close and give you confidence Fear is going to push everything away, maybe lack of confidence there. And if we take a look at what fear really is, uh, I equate that to a low self-esteem. A low self-esteem doesn't know what to do with fears. And of course, then the idea is we start to feel shame. So if I have a lot of fear and I can't handle what I'm scared of, for example, maybe I'm scared I won't get promoted. Maybe I'm scared I won't pass the test. Maybe I'm scared I can't pay my mortgage or save enough money. Maybe I am scared that I'm going to get a divorce or I'm scared I'm not raising my kids right. Whatever it is that you're struggling with. If you can deal with your fear wisely, you'll improve your self-esteem. If you let your fears rule you, you will suffer a low self-esteem. And unfortunately, what happens is you will probably start to feel shameful. And you'll start to think that you have to be perfect. And shame and perfect go hand in hand with one another. But if I said that love pulls things close and fear pushes things away then we know that shame pulls you apart and it causes fragmentation and it really hurts your own identity and your ability to put all your pieces together and see the big picture. So I'm going to emphasize that self-love is significantly important. Love is very important. And in the past I have said Whenever there is an ailment, apply love. If it doesn't work, apply more love. If that doesn't work, increase the dose until it does. Um, People resist love. They don't think that it's enough, but it is. So that's my number 10. Number 11. 11 is the last point that I'll make for today. Uh, It's a title from a book that I read by Sheldon Kopp the title of the book was If You Meet Buddha in the Road, Kill Him. (laughs) And uh, I love that. I love that title because it has so much wisdom in it. And what it means to say is if anyone tries to tell you how to live your life, take a step back. (laughs) So if you meet Buddha in the road, kill him. The idea is you can listen to me, you can listen to anyone on this earth who may claim that they know something about being human and existing, but you have everything that you need within yourself to know truth. And again, truth isn't the end, truth is like this terrible beginning of understanding a lot of shit. But in other words, do not take my word for it don't take anyone's word for it when i was younger and still today i i loved listening to tool as a band from back in the day if you don't recognize it but anyway tool had a track where they repeated think for yourself question authority think for yourself, question authority. Well, that got into my head as a kid and caused my parents a bunch of trouble, I'm sure, and my teachers and things like that. But I loved how when I was younger, and I love remembering that I was trying to think for myself and question authority. And I was glad then and now that I am brave enough to run experiments to find out for myself what is the truth. So, not that I know the truths, not that I know all the truths, but I at least have found some places where I feel kind of comfortable. And it seems I can't argue with myself anymore in that comfort. So, as I close out this particular podcast, I said a couple of things, but do not believe me. Don't believe anything that I say. Run an experiment, try it for yourself. See what works for you. Realize that there is nothing that anyone can give you that you don't already have. I think that's really powerful. Um, I do have to listen and I have to learn for sure. It helps accelerate everything a little bit faster. But I guess I really want you to believe in yourself. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you for listening to First Responder Psychological Support. I'm Sarah Gura, a licensed clinical professional counselor for first responders in Burridge, Illinois, at the self-care path. And I will remind you to do life so it doesn't do you. And remind you also to take good care and to stay safe. Okay, bye.